This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We know is the son of King David, which we're going to discuss. And not just King David, but David and Bathsheba, Queen Bathsheba. Uh, the first time we talked about this, uh, passed away, first son passed away. So either Shlomo was the second son, or according to another text in Devri Hayamim, which is Chronicles, he, he had a few sons in between. And Shlomo was the last of the sons, maybe fourth or fifth son of David Amelech. Anyway, so we find that King, De- King Solomon is reputedly to have reigned between 900 and 30 CE, around 930 CE, uh, sorry, 970 BCE to 930 BC. That's so around 40 years. 970 BC to 930 BC, around 40 years, which is the same amount of time as King David reigned. So about 40 years they reigned. Each one reigned about 40 years. And uh, we know that uh, David Melech in his old age was really old. He was really unable to properly function as a king. And basically his advisors were running the country with his stamp of approval. And towards the end of his life, we find his other son, Adoniyah, Adoniyah, Adoniyahu, um, he, he wanted to be the king. He was number three in line. And the first two died. We know that uh, Amnon was killed by his brother, Absalom. And Absalom eventually rebels against David, a very messy situation. And Absalom was killed by Yoab and Surya, the general of the army. And the third uh, son of David was Adoniyahu, who claimed wanted to claim the throne. And he announced a massive party, all the nobility of Israel, and included the general Yoab ben Surya, included the high priest Abiyatar, and he was going to anoint himself, have himself anointed at that party. All the great nobles went, and uh, what happened was that the prophet Nathan, we talked about last week, Nathan, Nathan Hanavi, Nathan Hanavi, Nathan the prophet's, uh, was not invited. He was not invited. Shlomo, the brother of Adoniyah, was not invited, and nor was his mother, Bacheva. So Nathan figured out there's a plot. How come they're not being invited to this party? It must be something sinister. Adoniyah's plotting to anoint himself, have himself anointed that day as king. What does he do? He goes straight to Bacheva. Bacheva, go run quickly to the King David and tell him that he promised you and he swore by God's name that your son Shlomo is going to be the king. So uh, Bacheva says, okay, she's going to go to King David. She goes, and King David is happy to see her. Bacheva, yeah, what do you need? What do you want? What happened? And Bacheva says, you promised me that my son Shlomo, King Solomon, is going to be the next king. You promised me. And uh, Adonia is going to reign instead. And uh, straight away, Nathan and David goes into the room as well with David and Bathsheba, and he says, you promised Shlomo is going to be the king, and I heard that Adoniyah was making a big party, and he's going to announce himself as king. He's going to have himself anointed as king. So David straight away said, get the Kreti and the Plati, which are the, the top uh, crack troops of the king. King David's crack troops, the Kreti and the Plati, with Adoniyah ben Yehoyada was the uh, general of the crack troops. He was the officer in charge. He says, quickly, go and anoint. Have Shlomo anointed as king. Take him to the 
stream. The kings had to be anointed by a stream because uh, their reign should be like a stream of water, just never-ending stream. They should have long reigns and have him anointed as Mashiach ben David, literally the anointed one, the son of David. Shlomo was the anointed one, the son of David. So the question that we have is, the Quran asks the question, why was Shlomo anointed? We know that the son of a king does not have to be anointed. The first king has to be anointed, but his progeny do not have to be anointed because they are sons of kings. They automatically take over. So the answer is when there's a machloka, when there's a debate, when there's a fight, who is going to be the next king, the king had to be anointed. So David says, go and anoint my son Shlomo. Straight away they do, the crack troops go, and they take uh, the prophet Nathan with them, and they take another priest uh, instead of Eviatar, Sadok, who becomes the next high priest, and they go and anoint Shlomo. That was the anointment of Shlomo. Luckily, it just preceded the anointment of Adoniah. Adoniah was in the process, just about to get anointed, but he hears the trumpets blowing, the shofar blowing, long live the king. And Adoniah says, what? Who's the king? I'm the king. He said, no, your brother Shlomo just was anointed as king. Uh-oh. Adoniah runs. He runs to the nearest altar, and he grabs hold of the horns of the altar, trying to get trying to stop people from killing him. And, uh, and all the other people scatter. They're scared now. Shlomo Melech is the king. Maybe they'll take vengeance on them. And Shlomo is very smart. Shlomo has Adoniyahu removed from the altar. He says, Adoniyahu, if you're faithful to me, I won't touch you. But if once you're unfaithful to me, I'm going to get you, Adoniyahu. Be careful. And unfortunately, Adoniyahu was not so careful. And uh, whatever. So... It's interesting that Shlomo was wise enough. We're going to see this idea of wisdom of Shlomo. We're going to see how he dealt with his enemies, how he dealt with Adoniah with, with wisdom. He dealt with Yoab with wisdom, and he banished the high priest, the former high priest, Aviatar, to a place called Anatot, um, which is in the land of Binyamin. The Torah tells us Anatot, where is Binyamin? He banished him, said, Don't come back to Yushalayim. You took sides against me. I'm not allowing you to be high priest. The Sadok became the high priest. And Yoab was also banished. And uh, all the other enemies were banished. But eventually, things had to get uh, under control. We're going to have to talk about it some other time. Okay. So David swears to Bathsheba to be that her son, Shlomo, will be the next king. David orders Shlomo to be anointed. Right now, Shlomo gets anointed. Adoniah is in the process of being anointed. And he stops. He stops and Shlomo is anointed as king. Everyone else scatters. Shlomo is the new king. Long live the king. Long live the king. Shlomo Menach is the king. Now, according to the, the, uh, one of the books of history we have, one of the ancient books of history we have, uh, it says he was 12 years old when he became king. He wasn't even bar mitzvah. That's, so I don't know how true that is, but that's one of our ancient traditions that he was 12 years old when he became king. He was anointed as king. And what happens is, the, the Torah tells us, Shlomo was the wisest person around. But how do you become wise? Now, it's interesting because to become wise, you have to start off from being wise. You have to start off being wise. What does that mean? That means you have to appreciate, you have to be wise enough to appreciate wisdom. A lot of us are not wise enough to appreciate wisdom. Because you know, praise for money, praise for wealth, praise for power, praise for this, praise for children. But how many people pray for wisdom. How many people value wisdom 
to uh, pray for wisdom and beg Hashem, beseech Hashem for wisdom. So that is the first thing. You've got to be wise enough to know that wisdom is important. That's the first criteria is wisdom starts with wisdom. What's the wisdom of wisdom? The key to wisdom is knowing how important it is, how important wisdom is, how precious wisdom is. And that's something that a lot of people fail at. We have to pray for wisdom. We have to pray every single day. It's interesting because it's the first of our prayers after the general prayers, which are, you know, the, the Shemona Esra is a sandwich. The first three prayers are there every day. Last three prayers every day. It's the middle prayers that really count. As the middle prayers, which are petitions, individual petitions to God. And the first of the middle prayers on a weekday is Please, Hashem, give me chokhmah binavadat. Give me knowledge. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding. You're the one that God gives us knowledge. So please give me knowledge. Most, so rabbis, when they made this prayer, the first of the middle 13 prayers are telling us the importance of wisdom. It's the first thing that we pray for as individuals. The first thing we pray for as individuals is wisdom. How many people pay attention? How many people focus on that? Bracha, pray to Hashem for wisdom. I'm telling you right now, I'm learning something very esoteric and very hard. And boy, without Hashem's help, it's impossible to understand. So a person needs to know there's things around us hard to understand. And we need God's help and wisdom from Hashem to give us this ability. But is that the most important thing in our lives? Are we really, are we really aiming our lives for wisdom, wisdom of Torah, wisdom, general knowledge to know how Hashem made the world? That is the question. What is our motivation in life? What are, what are our goals in life? So now we have this beautiful story. It's one of my favorite. I think it's probably the most my favorite story in town. One of the most favorite, let's say, let's not uh, say the most uh, favorite. One of the most favorite stories I have in Tanakh, one of those powerful stories I have in Tanakh, is here in Shlomo Melech. Shlomo Melech is anointed. What does he do? Bring sacrifices to God to thank God for being king of Israel. And then that night, says he goes to Gibbon, which is one of the places that the Mishkan, the sanctuary, stood. And he brings offerings to God. And that night he has a dream. And in his dream, who does he see? Hashem. Obviously, he can't see Hashem. Hashem appears to him in his dream and asks Shlomo, I'll give you whatever you want. Tell me what you want. You have one wish. What do you want? I'll give you whatever you want. You want money? You want power? You want to be, live long? What do you want? I'll give you whatever you want. And what does Shlomo ask for? And this is a very important uh, answer to this question what do you want most in life? What does Shlomo ask for? I just want to read this to you because it's such a beautiful story. And uh, uh, the, Torah, the Torah says um, in, in chapter 3 of the book of Kings 1. There's two books of Kings in the Torah. Kings 1, chapter 3. Have a look. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. Hashem appears to him. And Shlom Berch answers, I want an understanding heart. You know, the word shomea literally means to hear. The heart doesn't hear. But the heart can understand. The mind is the heart. The Raman tells us the mind is the heart. The heart, when the Torah says heart, it's the mind. I want a mind that understands. You know, it's very interesting. What does that mean, a mind that understands? You know, there's a big debate in the, in the Talmud. 
the second brachot, Shema Yisrael, what does it mean? Does it mean to hear Israel? What does it mean to understand Israel? And the answer is it means to understand. Lev Shomer is an understanding heart. He wants an understanding heart. Why do I want understanding heart? To judge your people. The king, if he's wise enough, he's a, he's a Gatsmicha, he's got his rabbinical decrees, he's a Dayan, he's a judge. He judges the people. The king in, in Jewish law has extra legal power sometimes. Say so a person, uh, the Sanhedrin says the guy is innocent. The king can make him guilty. The king has extra legal powers. And that's, uh, that's why a king is necessary. Because sometimes people get off and find famous cases in American law. I don't want to say any names, but famous cases. Guy is definitely a murderer. They had all the evidence. And he got off. He was not. He was found not guilty. There was not enough proof. So uh, and a king, he can go by circumstantial evidence, which is not normally acceptable in Jewish law. You need two witnesses who warn the person. They see with their own eyes. But circumstantial evidence is not admissible in the Jewish court of law. But when there's a king, the king can take the law literally in his own hands and have someone penalized for something where there's no 100% evidence just to put fear of God in the people. So no one will try this anymore. No one will try, will say, hey, I'll get away with it. There's no evidence, there's no, there's no uh, witnesses, I'll get away with this. Well, you won't get away with it. The king is a righteous king, he knows what's going on. So Shlomo Melech asked for live from man, understanding heart, to judge your people. It wasn't just for him, it was something he wanted to judge the people. He wanted to be a judge of the people. The king is the highest legal authority. And therefore, he says, to know the difference between good and evil. You know, why is it so hard to know the difference between good and evil? And the answer is because we all rationalize. We're experts, human beings are experts of rationalization. Where do we get this rationalization for, from? We got it from the Nachash. We got it from the snake, the proverbial snake with Adam and Eve. He put his dirt into Chava. It says he put his foot into Chava. What does that mean? He didn't have the ability to know the difference between good and bad because we have the power. Human beings have the biggest power to rationalize. And Shlomo Melech says, no, Hashem, I want to understand what is good, what is bad. I want to understand deeply. Sometimes you see something which appears to be very good and it, deep down it's bad. You uncover the layers, you find it's bad. So a person is very hard to Sometimes we don't think below the surface of that person doesn't have deep understanding. Shlomo asked for deep understanding, which we're going to talk about. And he didn't ask for it as a, as a selfish request. He asked for it to be a good judge of the people of Israel. Now, Hashem doesn't like individual requests which are selfish. Hashem does not like selfish requests. But if that's why our prayers in the Shemantra are in the plural. All our prayers are in the plural. Please heal us, Hashem, and heal me. When we pray for sick people, we always say, heal me amongst the other people of Israel, the other sick people of Israel. We always try and pray as generous prayers. Hashem loves generosity. Hashem is the most generous being around. So Hashem loves generous people. If we pray for others, we get answered first. We always have to pray for everyone else. Yeah, Shlomo Melech says, I want wisdom enough for myself. I want wisdom to be a judge of your people, Hashem. How can you fail when you pray for God's people? 
Hashem says, sure, you got it. You want to pray for my people? You got it. I'm going to help you. To understand the difference between good and bad. And Hashem answered him. I did whatever you asked. I already did it. You asked me, I answered you straight away. Now you have what you asked for. Straight away, immediately. You have the understanding. You have the mind of a wise man. And an understanding person. Before you, there was never anyone like you. And there'll be no one after you like that as well. You're going to be the wisest person in the world ever. You're going to be the wisest person before you, never lived before you. You're going to be wiser than anyone before you and wiser than anyone after you. You're going to be the smartest person in the world, in world history. Forever and ever, no one is going to beat Shlomo Melech in wisdom and understanding. That is God's gift to Shlomo, which was an immediate gift. As soon as Shlomo Melech prayed, he was answered straight away. Because we see over here the secret of successful prayer is to pray in a generous way. That's number one, to pray in a generous way. And not to be selfish in your prayers. And pray to something which Hashem values. What does Hashem value? We see Hashem values wisdom. It says, uh, you know, there's a a minister, the king, and the king says, I want to give you the best, most precious thing I have. What would you like? I'll give you anything I have in my treasury. And the the guy was smart. He says, I want to marry your daughter. Because I know whoever marries your daughter is going to be the next king. So... Hashem's daughter, the Midrash says, is wisdom. Hashem's daughter is wisdom. What does that mean? The most precious item that Hashem has in his treasury, whatever that means, don't take it literally, is wisdom. Hashem values wisdom over everything else. And therefore, if you ask for the most precious thing Hashem has, that is the key to success in everything in a person's life. The key to success in our lives, you have to know, is wisdom. Because a person who has wisdom will get everything else. A person who has wisdom will get everything else, and that's the key to everything else. Beautiful idea we have over here in the Torah, that Shlomo Melech got wisdom straight away, instantaneous answer to his prayers. He was answered instantaneously. Why? Because he asked for something which God values, and he asked for it in a generous way, not in a selfish way. I wanted to judge your nation, Hashem. Hashem said, oh, my nation, I love my nation. You want to be a true judge of my nation? That's what I want. I want you to be a true judge. I'm going to answer your question. Wait, you know, it's interesting. Because one of the prayers we have in the Shemun is, bring back our judges like we had in the old days. You know, it's a problem today. The person has legal problems. You know, you got to hire a lawyer. It costs money. You got to get your money for someone else. They trick you. It takes ages and ages in litigation. It's, it's very costly, very time consuming. We want to bring back our judges that we had who knew how to judge people, who knew who's, a, who's truthful, who's a liar. Shlomo Melech had that ability. He could tell who was telling lies. He could sniff it. He could smell it out. We're going to see the next story in the Torah. It's a beautiful story. Everyone knows this story. And I'm going to say it again because it's such a beautiful story to illustrate. Sorry, this is a beautiful story to illustrate Shlomo Melech's wisdom. And we can see the deep how Shlomo Melech thought deeply. He wasn't just on the surface. 
And to, you know, we talked about last week how don't look at the superficial packaging, look at what's inside. The same thing when he looked at two people, the plaintiffs come in front of him and he heard their claims. He didn't only hear their claims, he thought deeply, where are they coming from? What do they really want? What do they really mean? You know, it's interesting. When I was studying to be a teacher, I was, uh, started a school and uh, I got, I was given, I was very fortunate. I was trained under the best. Uh, Dr. Fierstein, uh, he came to teach me. And uh, you know, one, of, one of the problems we had was with one of the teachers in the school and she had gripes, she had complaints. So uh, I was there and he said, Look, I'm going to sit with you and we're going to listen to her complaints. And she, this is, she was saying this and this and this. She's telling stories and this and that and that. And then we met afterwards to examine what she was talking about. So he asked me, what did she say? So I said, this is what she said. He said, now, what did she mean when she said that? What is she really after? What is really bothering her? That is the problem. When people say things, you've got to know they're coming from somewhere. When they're coming from somewhere, you have to know where they're coming from to understand what they really mean. A person may come home and grumble about the food, but it's really not about the food. It's something, it could be something deeper. It could be just a symptom of some other cause. And that's what Shlomo Merak was able to fathom. That when a person says something, it's not just what they're saying. It's also that the symptom, it's a symptom. Of what, when a person says something, it's a symptom of something deeper. It could be. Not everyone is deep, but some people are deep. And therefore, it's a symptom of something deeper. So let's see the case. The case is a famous case. There were two women who gave birth to children in the same house. A few days later, one of the children died. And now they both come to Shlomo. It's my child. And that one says, no, it's my child. And that one says, no, my child. It's my child. Her child died. And one night she came and she took my child. And she put the dead child next to me. But I know it. She has my child, and this dead child is her child. And Shlomo Melech looking at the camera, they're both screaming. This is my child. Yeah, it's my child. What does Shlomo Melech do? He says, bring me a sword. <laughs> can, can you imagine? Oh, wait, wait, wait. What a shock. Imagine everyone standing over there. They're watching this new king. Uh, they didn't know how wise he was. Bring me a sword. They bring a sword. Can you imagine the sharp, shiny sword? Two little babies over there, two mothers over there. What's he going to do with a sword? And he tells his servant, cut the baby in half. Oh, gosh. Cut the living baby in half. And mother, one mother says, sure, good idea. Cut the baby in half. Half each. It's fair enough. And the other mother says, no, please, my baby. Don't kill my baby. Give it to the other mother. I'd rather she have my baby and be alive than have a dead baby. She said, that's the mother. The mother had mercy on her child. That's the mother. The mother who never had mercy is not the mother. So everyone says, wow, this man is a genius. How do you figure this out? <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Today we know the story. But... Imagine inventing this scenario. What a what a genius to come along and say, Bring me a sword. And they're both screaming. He stops the cries straight away. Everyone's wondering what he's up to. No one can fathom what he's up to. Genius. So that is the first story about Shlomo's wisdom, but there's many stories, but there's not only many stories, three major books that made it into Tanakh. 
three major books that made it into Nach were authored by Shlomo Amela. Three major works of Jewish philosophy were made into Tanakh. Our major philosophies were written by Shlomo Melech. They are Kohelet, the book of Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, in English, terrible name, uh, Kohelet, Ecclesiastes. Uh, Kohelet literally means gatherings. It says, he gathered thousands of people who give shirin, the greatest man, everyone wanted to hear his wisdom. He would gather people in public and give them Tremendous drashot lectures and give them teach them about wisdom. Kohelet, a book about life. What is important in our lives? And Shlomo Melech points out what is the most important feature of our lives, and that is the last line in the book of Kohelet. You got to read the whole book to get to the last line, or you can be a cheat and you can go right to the end and just read the last line <laughs> because it's uh, very deep. Kohelet's very deep. Sometimes very depressing. Shalom, I can't find anything good in this world to talk about until he gets to the last line. And he says, He says, I tried everything. I tried every single pleasure under the sun and I couldn't find anything worthwhile until the end of the matter is, Fear God and keep his commandments, and that's all there is about life. The secret of life is fearing God and keeping God's commandments. Everything else is vanity. Everything else is a dream. Everything else is not what we're here for. We forget what we're put into this world for. Our souls came into our bodies for this purpose. Fear God and keep his commandments. That is the key. So that's Shlomo Melech. Book number one, Kohelet. Number two, Mishlei. Oh boy, Mishlei is not one book. Each verse of Mishlei is a deep parable. It's a deep wisdom. Mishlei is a compendium of books. It's a long, sefer, long book, many chapters, and each line is a, you can write a whole book. The Vilna Gaon chose to write a commentary on Mishlei. You know why he chose to write a commentary on Mishlei? Because Mishlei is so deep, it takes a Vilna Gaon to write a commentary on Mishlei. His commentary is beautiful, beautiful commentary on Mishlei. And from that commentary, they made a book, which was my favorite bedtime story. It's not a story, it's a book by the Vilna Gaon called Eben Shlema, The Complete Stone. Eben Shlema, I don't know why I called it The Complete Stone, but it's an amazing book of wisdom. The Vilna Gaon's wisdom based on Mishlei, which is King Solomon's wisdom. There's Rav Hashem in our series of classes. I'm going to go through a bit of the book of Mishlei, a bit of the, the amazing sayings of Shlomo Melech, the book of parables, Mishlei parables. And the third book he wrote was Shir Hashirim, the Song of Songs, which the custom of many Sephardim is to say every Friday between Mincha and Arvit, between Mincha and Mariv. Sephardim we sing Shir Hashirim, eight chapters. Song of Songs, a beautiful love story between a shepherd and his beloved, which is the Rabbi Akiva says in the Talmud. All the other books are holy. Song of Songs is the holy of holies. The most highly misunderstood book in the Tanakh is the holy of holies. Why? It's really a representation, a parable of the love between man and God. It's a representation of the 
parable between man and God, the love between man and God is illustrated in Shira Shirin. It's a passionate love story. But now we can understand a bit of the greatness of Shlomo Melech. Shlomo Melech was in love. We have to talk about his love life as well, but he was in love with God. His first love in his life was God. His best friend, like his father, imagine. He got this love of God from his father. His father, David, loved God like no one else. He yearned for God. We talked about it last week. He yearned for God like a, a heart, like a, a gazelle in the desert, needed streams of water. He yearned for water. David Amelech yearned for God. It came through his blood into his son, Shlomo Amelech. Shlomo Amelech loved God with a passion he can't understand. And that passion he put into his book, Shira Shil, Song of Songs, the passion of the shepherd for his beloved. Tremendous passion. We're going to talk a bit about it in the coming classes. But that's the great Shlomo Melech. He was known for his wisdom. He was known for his passion to God. He was known, okay, he was known for his building prowesses. He was known to building Jewish civilization. When we talk about Jewish civilization, it counts. The heyday, till today, the heyday of Jewish civilization was under King Solomon. The heyday of our commonwealth, the Jewish commonwealth, as Rabbi Shem will see it again, was under Shlomo Melech. There's only one war we had, we're going to talk about it, but Rabbi Shem, everyone else was in peace with the Jewish people. It was, it was practically, I think, universal peace. But when, if I'm not wrong, I think there was universal peace during the time of Shlomo Melech. Shlomo Melech made peace treaties with every single king he knew. And that's why he married all their daughters. He married so many wives because he wanted to make a peace treaty with the king. And he really believed through the daughter of the king, he could persuade the kings to be, to become ethical monotheists. That was the whole point. The point was he'd marry the daughter, make the daughter Jewish. Hopefully she would believe in God, one God, she would go back, chat to her father, tell her, you know what, this is such a powerful system. The Jewish system is so powerful, you should also convert your nation to this belief system. Well, unfortunately, it didn't work. It never worked. It backfired on Shlomo Melech. Instead of him persuading them, they wanted to persuade him. That's the problem. The problem was they are so steep in their idolatries. They were very hard to change. We're going to talk about it. We're going to show a book about it. So Shlomo Melech was known for his knowledge, his wisdom, his understanding of people. Uh, the rabbis tell us he could understand the language of birds. He could understand the language of angels. This is a story in the Talmud, hopefully we'll get to. He could understand language of the demons. He could even control the king of the demons who helped him build the Beit HaMikdash. The king of the demons gave him some information. Now where the Shamir worm where did the Shamir worm live? There's a tradition that the Shamir worm, the Shamir worm could etch into rock. Today we have lasers. In those days, that a Shamir worm. So he got this information from the king of the demons, no less. He knew the language of angels, demons, birds, uh, animals. Uh, the stories the Midrashim about uh, a guy who came to Shah Melech. So Shlomo Melech, I understand you know the language of animals, and please teach me, please teach me. He bugged Shlomo Melech, and Shlomo said, I only want condition, I'll teach you. You have to know, if you reveal the secret to anyone else, 
the day you reveal it, you're going to die. It's a risk. You're not allowed to reveal it to anyone. On the day you reveal it, you're going to die. And the man says, I don't care. Please teach me. Please teach me. Shomer teaches him the language of the animals, whatever that means. How to understand the talk of animals. The man goes home. He has a donkey and he has an ox. And the ox works hard. The donkey works hard. They both come home. And the donkey says, I got a trick. Tomorrow I'm going to pull a trick on our master. He doesn't know his master understands everything he says. Tomorrow I'm going to pretend I'm going to be sick. And you know what? I'm going to take the day off. I'm going to eat and drink. I'm actually going to eat food because I'm sick. And I'll get the day off. So what happens is, the donkey pretends he's sick the next day. The master comes in and he doesn't know what's going on. Oh, you poor donkey. You stay home today. I'll give you extra food to heal you. And the ox, you have to work double hard. You have to do your work and the donkey's work. So he makes the, the ox work really hard. That night, he comes to hear what's going on. The ox comes home. And the ox says, oh, you donkey, you caused me so much trouble. That's it. I'm not going to let you take a day off next time. And, and we make you double, work double hard. Tomorrow, I'm going to be sick and you're going to work double hard. So Ox played the trick on the donkey, with his same donkey. And the master goes home and he's laughing away. Wow. <laughs> I paid that, that donkey back. Now the donkey has to work twice as hard. So, uh, so his wife is wondering, why is this guy? He's never laughed so much in his life. Why is he laughing so much? Please tell me the secret. What happened? Why? Yes, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. I can't tell you the secret. It's a secret. I can't tell you. I know the language of animals. I can't tell you that secret. I promise I've never said it. So she kept on bugging and bugging and bugging him. And uh, he said, that's it. I can't. I can't resist this anymore. I have to tell her. So he's very depressed. He goes outside. He doesn't know what to do. And his dog can sense the master is really upset. And the dog is also whining and moaning. And the rooster is over there crowing away. With his uh, making his rooster noises, un, unabashed, the master's over there, depressed, and the dog rebukes the rooster. Rooster, why are you in such a good mood? Your master is so depressed. And the rooster says, I'm not worried about my master. He's a fool. He doesn't know how to run his household. That's his problem. I know how to run my household. So, anyway, so there's, a, there's stories about this. Uh, I just want to give you another story. It's a Gemara. Uh, in Shabbat, which actually is a Gemara in Sukkah. Let's go to the Gemara in Sukkah, page Nun Gimel, Amad Aleph. And over here, Shalmerach seems he had this clairvoyance, he had this ability, Hashem gave this ability to even speak to the angels. And one day he sees the angel of death. That's pretty scary if you ask me. But he saw the angel of death, he wasn't faced, he saw these angels wandering around. And the angel of death was miserable. And he says, Why are you miserable? He says, well, your two servants, your sovereign, the people who write scribes, you have two scribes over here, and I'm trying to, this day of their death has come close, I can't kill them, I can't kill them. So Shomer says, oh, okay, thank you so much for the information. He tells his scribes quickly, go away to a place called Lud, which is right next to the Ben-Gurion airport today, and I heard the angel of death is after you, go and hide over there. So Sorry, a place called Luz, not Lud, Luz. And so they, they run to Luz. And the next day, Shlomo Melech says, sees the angel of death who's happy. He says, angel of death, why are you happy? The angel of death says, because 
these guys went to the place where I was meant to kill them. So they were meant to die and lose. That's why I, I was sad. They went and lose. They were here in Yushalayim. And when they ran away to lose, I got them. So he was happy. So Shlom Benach, we see over here, big mistake, unfortunately, but he did understand the language of the angels. He could speak to the angels, the angel of death even, wasn't scared. That was his greatness, his wisdom. And now let's go a little bit more into Shlom Benach's life. We know that Shlom Benach was the greatest king we had in terms of his power, his riches, his might, his uh, peace, the peace he could build between nations. And uh, he said he married all these women. Unfortunately, there are three mitzvot regarding a king. The Jewish king has three mitzvot unique to the king. There's actually four. The fourth one is each one has to write their own sefer Torah. Every Jew has to write a sefer Torah, but the king has to have his own special sefer Torah, which he carries around with him. Tosfut says it's like a parchment, like a mezuzah, a small sefer Torah, which is tied onto his arm, and he carries wherever he goes. So Stephen is on his left arm, his seven doors on his right arm, and this way, every split second he has spare, he's reading his Torah to remind him he's the king of the Jewish people. He has more obligations than anyone else towards God. He has to look after his people. So Shlomo Melech had three other mitzvot which applied to a king. Number one, not to have too many horses. His chariots could not have too many horses. He couldn't have a very big cavalry. And Shlom Melech did have a big cavalry. Why? Because the Torah says, don't have big cavalry in case you send people back to Egypt. We have to know that Egypt was a source of horses at that time. We know Arabian steeds, very prized in the Middle Ages. Arabian steeds were prized in the Middle Ages. And prior to that, Egyptian steeds were prized for people's cavalry. All the kings needed these Arab horses, these Egyptian horses. But the king is not allowed to have too many horses in case he sends people to Egypt to raise horses. But he did. Shlomo Melech had tons of horses. He said, didn't apply to me. I'm not going to send people back to Egypt to live. We're never going to go back to Egypt. Doesn't apply to me. Too much money. King is not allowed to have too much gold and silver. Shlomo Melech had tons of gold, tons of silver. He said, doesn't apply to me because the money is not going to go into my head. I'm not going to get proud because of money. And thirdly, the king is not allowed to have many wives. And Shlomo Melech had 700 wives. Wow, that's amazing, 700 wives. And 300 wives without a ketubah, concubines, they call So Pilachim, so a thousand women. He had a thousand women. Can you imagine how much he had to spend? Each one had to have their own palace. These, these uh, especially the daughters of, of kings, princesses, need their own palace. He spent a fortune building palaces all over including his own beautiful palace, which he built. Uh, just across from there was the palace. The most important wife he had was Pharaoh's daughter. Imagine Pharaoh's like the superpower. Egypt was a superpower at that time. And he, the Jewish king, marries the daughter of Pharaoh, who, who ostensibly converted to Judaism, but not really. She still had her, all her uh, idolatries. And that's the story of the Gemara and Shabbat. The Gemara Shabbat is on Nunubab Amitbet 56b. And it talks about what did Shalomar do with all these wives? So it says, the, the Torah itself says, when King Solomon got old, his wives turned his heart to worship other gods. 
Belo Halach. So it says he, they turned his hearts to worship other gods. And but the Gemara says, don't say Shlomo Melech worshipped other gods. He never worshipped other gods. So, but it, then the, uh, the Gemara asks, he says, Vakitiv Azim Ne Shlomo Bama. Shlomo Melech built altars to other gods in Yerushalayim. So the Gemara says, no, he didn't build them. He wanted to build them, but he didn't build them. He intended to, but he never got around to it. And so the Gemara says, no, that's not even true. He didn't even intend to build them. His wives built them. And he allowed, he didn't smash them. Since he didn't interfere with his wives, it was as if he himself was building them. So when the, when the Torah says he, t- he turned his heart away from God, his old age to turn to other gods, it's talking about his wives worshipping idols and he, he never rebuked them. Terrible. Bad enough. That's bad enough. So, and then it, the Gemara talks about when he married Pharaoh's daughter. When Shlomo married the daughter of Pharaoh, she had a massive orchestra of a thousand musical instruments. Wow, a thousand musical instruments. And she had them all play music and she would dance and captivate him with the dancing. And she'd say, she'd tell him, this is how you serve this God. This is how you serve that God. In other words, each dance was a different dance to a different God. Amazing. And that's why it says they turned his hearts away from God. But anyway, she was one of his main wives. The daughter of Pharaoh was like one of the main wives. The power that he got by being the son-in-law of, the, of one of the superpowers. And he himself, Shlomo was. He made Israel into a massive superpower. He made Israel into a superpower. So Shlomo had a very big area to rule over. His father had fought these wars, extended Israel all the way up to Damascus uh, in Syria and Lebanon and on the, on the east bank of the Jordan. They had two and a half tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half of Benasheh, which they gave by the time of Joshua. So Israel was big. Israel was a big country. Plus, King David had conquered all the states around. They were all vassal states to Israel. They paid taxes to Israel. Amnon, Amon, Moab, all the other countries around paid taxes to Edom, the sons of the descendants of Esau, they paid taxes to Israel. Israel was the greatest, one of the superpowers of the Middle East at that time, Baruch Hashem. That was the heyday of the Jewish commonwealth under King Solomon because of his genius and the greatness of David, his warrior father. So one of the things Shlomo Melech does, one of the things that that uh, King David commands. We know King David wanted to build the temple. We told you last week, King David wanted to build the temple and he thought Hashem allowed him to build the temple. He was going to build the temple. And the prophet Nathan told him, yeah, of course you can build the temple. Until Hashem told Nathan, quickly tell David he's not allowed to build the temple. His hands are full of blood. A person whose hands are full of blood cannot build the temple. You know, there's an interesting halakha in Jewish law that when a person says Birkat Amazon, there should be no knives on the table. Why no knives on the table? Some people say no metal on the table, no cutlery on the, on the table, metal cutlery on the table. Why? Because the table is today's altar. Our altar to God is our table where we eat. We're transforming the physical into spiritual. We take the physical matter we eat it and we turn it into energy and we use that energy to serve God. So our tables are our altars and the altar of God prolongs life. This altar of God is not allowed to be 
be to be created with metal. We're not allowed to build the altar with metal, not allowed to hew the stones of the altar with metal. The Ramon tells us where were the stones of the altar obtained? They have to be tremendously smooth. And the answer he says, from the, from the riverbeds. When the river goes over the rocks after many years, it makes the rocks smooth. They would take out the smooth rocks from the riverbeds and use them on the altar to build the altar, to make the altar smooth. The smooth surface of the altar was not allowed to be made from hewn stones. Again, the same idea, because metal shortens life and the purpose of the altar is to lengthen life. Metal shortens life and the purpose of our Birkata Mazon, our tables are meant to lengthen life. So therefore we don't say Birkata Mazon, blessing the grace after meals with a knife on the table, we should take them off before. Birkata Mazon, some people say only on Shabbat, some people say even the weekdays, so take them off. We say Birkata Mazon, to remind ourselves the table is the altar. Our tables lengthen our lives and knives and metal shorten our lives. But that's the idea that David Amelech shortened many people's lives. He fought wars on behalf of the Jewish people. But nevertheless, even though he's fighting our enemies, nevertheless, he was not allowed to build the temple. The temple is a holy place. It's a place of peace, to make peace in the world. And a person with blood on his hands, even though it's Blood of our enemies cannot build the temple, wasn't allowed to build the temple. We have to discuss this more in detail next week, probably. Uh, why was David not allowed to build the temple? Many other reasons. Because he said that first he built his own house, and then he says, I'm living in a palace, and the ark of God is in a tent. So he put priorities on his palace. He should have put the building for God first. Anyway, there's other reasons. We have to discuss in more detail some other time. But who gets the job to build a temple? Someone whose hands are clean of blood. Shlomo Melech. King David's son, the prophet said, you're not going to build a temple. Your son Shlomo is going to build a temple. And sure enough, when David is on his deathbed, he commands Shlomo, please, you are the one designated to build a temple. I prepared all the materials for you. All the gold, the silver, the money, the, the, anything, the stones, the huge stones I prepared for you. I'm entrusting you to build God's temple the ark of God to finally have a good nice place to rest and for the Shekhinah's presence to be rest in Israel permanently and Shlomo was entrusted and Shlomo does a fantastic job he brings workmen from all over and he has a treaty with Hiram Hiram the king of Tyre Lebanon to supply the wood the cedar wood why cedar wood Cedar wood was the longest wood you could get, longest trees you could find to make the beams of the, the roof of the temple. Now, a building in those days could only be as wide as the beams on the roof. They didn't know how to make arches, I guess. The, the arches, uh, their, their uh, engineering skills were limited, and therefore they needed beams for the roof. So you need long beams for the roof. So if you have long beams, you don't need to put pillars everywhere. So you had these long beams shipped over from Lebanon over sea. They floated them down from the sea in the Mediterranean uh, to a place near uh, Tel Aviv, I guess. And they brought them from there on the other hand. So it's interesting. They brought materials, the wood from Lebanon, cedar wood from Lebanon. And he sent artisans from Lebanon to make stones and other things. And he got the people to build this beautiful structure known as the first temple the Temple of Shlomo Melech Ben Amidash, 
first Beit HaMikdash, which was built by Shlomo Melech, which lasted about 480 years. And uh, then it was destroyed by the Babylonians on Tisha B'Av, around Tisha B'Av. That's why we, we fast on Tisha B'Av. You know, that was the first temple by, built by Shlomo Melech. Great job. And we have to talk about it next week. We're trying to show and talk about how we dedicate the temple. His prayer. Oh, we're going to remind, remind me next week. We're going to talk about the prayer of Shlomo in the temple where he prays that anyone, any human being who comes and prays to God in the temple, his prayers should be answered. Anyone from any country, anywhere in the world, any foreigner who comes to the bed of Mikdash to pray to God, his prayers should be answered straight away. What an amazing, amazing prayer that anyone who comes to the temple. Why? Because a person who comes to the temple shows they believe in God or they want to try out. And when they pray and they're not answered, they don't believe in God. So Shalom prays to God. If anyone, any foreigner, any stranger comes to your temple and prays, answer them straight away. And that's the advantage of praying in the Beit HaMikdash. Amazing prayer. We have to discuss more uh, next week. So please join me next week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.